0: Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am so excited to be joined today by Anne-Marie Rohrink. She is the principal of 210 Analytics and well-known, of course, to many folks in the produce world for her insightful reports and presentations and collaboration with IRI and associations like the International Fresh Produce Association, the Southeast Produce Council anne also does lots of work across other segments of Grocery as well, and so she is really the perfect person to talk with today about a big-picture topic of Outlook for 2023 covering lots of different areas. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the podcast.
1: All right, thanks so much, Ashley. It's been a while. You look uh, great, and I look forward to our conversation.
0: Thank you so much. Me too. Me too. So speaking of uh, those reports that you do with with IFPA, there was another one that just came out recently. And one of the kind of big picture consumer trends that, that caught my attention was this channel shifting with traditional grocers losing share. What do we know about why that's happening and kind of the span of time over which we've seen that happen?
1: Yeah, so the statistics that you're referring to um, come from what IRI call their household panel. So they have 100,000 households across the United States that have scanners and they bleep everything that they buy. So it's not just what goes over the register in the more traditional stores, but really encompasses all the different outlets where fruit and vegetables are sold. And of course, as we know, that is quite extensive these days, as everybody has figured out that power of produce and driving trips and eyes and everything else. So what we are seeing is that traditional supermarkets do remain the largest seller. But if we compare the share of dollars today versus 2019, you see that there is a longer term shift away from traditional grocery across all fresh departments, toward a format such as the club channel, super centers, online. And then another area that is losing share a little bit is that specialty organic format as well. So it is very interesting to see. And it's just to your point, uh, the big question is, is this a manifestation that has just changed shopping patterns from the pandemic? Is it really inflation that is driving it? And you know, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, at the end of the day, inflation is a massive undercurrent in everything we're seeing in grocery right now. And if you look at some of the formats in traditional grocery that run exclusively or mainly things like BOGOs, well, BOGOs can be fantastic if it's an item that you might be looking for, or your household likes, or you know you're going to use. But BOGOs also require a lot of planning, looking on the app, as well as, again, is it an item my household likes and will use? So I think to an extent, we are seeing consumers almost looking for a bit of a shortcut, if you will, right? If I go to a super center, a club store, a dollar store, those kinds of things, I know that price point is going to be lower than typically at my traditional grocery store. Not always, but remember, it's all about perception, right? Perception, not reality. Um, So that then begs it to question, you know, traditional grocery has always led in the visual beauty of produce, you know, quality, service, that was always the go-to-market strategy of your more traditional grocery. So that begs the question, does that not matter anymore, Well, obviously at the end of the day, the shift away from traditional grocery is about 2.7 percentage points. So at first you're like, well, two to three points. But if you figure that we're talking about a $70 billion produce department, that's a lot of billions. So yes, it does matter. Um, So interestingly, uh, I've been working with SEPC, the Southeast Produce Council on research that we release every fall. And we force people to sort of decide what is their main, main driver of the produce purchase. So first we give them a question and they can answer whatever. And you see that three, four different things play into it. Quality, service, price, assortment, sustainability, all these different things. But then we follow up and we say, okay, which one weighs the most? And that's where you saw the big change from year ago. You saw that price mattered a whole lot more and quality mattered a little bit less. Now, remember, this was they had to pick one or the other, whereas in reality, they could have been hand in hand. But it was really interesting to see. Now, the last thing I want to imply is that some of the non-traditional grocery channels do not have the quality. But it is an interesting consumer perception puzzle here where there is clearly something happening in the mind of the consumer where they very specifically weigh assortment, service, quality, price, and in the current environment, I think price is starting to really drive some of these channel shifts.
0: Well, and it's really interesting that you mentioned too, Anne-Marie, that um, even though your traditional grocer, they've got this, this promotional cadence and the high, low pricing and, and they offer great deals. That's always been kind of a, a pillar of, of the grocery industry. Right.
1: Right.
0: But in the consumer mindset, they're thinking, well, overall across the board all the time, maybe I'm more likely to get the most for my money over here at the, uh, the big box store, or the club store, or that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: And I think that's really where that overall perception comes in. You know, I think if you compare grocery prices and I'm talking center store grocery, that's where I think a lot of the big box stores obviously win out because of the volume that they do and the prices they can negotiate. Um, But I think on produce, because of what you mentioned, the high low formats, the BOGOs, the, the big, deep price promotions, I'm not really sure that necessarily traditional groceries don't compete as well on price. But I think that overall perception is what we're dealing with. And, you know, as far as we're concerned, you know, a consumer is boss, whatever they believe um, is what's happening. And I think there's another element to that where we have been seeing share loss in fresh fruit and vegetables to frozen in particular Now, in part, if you look at that in dollars, you could argue, okay, the inflation in frozen has been much higher. So obviously, that means even if people buy the same amount, they would get a larger share in dollars because of that inflation. But we look at the volume as well. And we do see a shift from fresh to frozen in particular, canned is holding fairly stable. So you have to ask yourself what's behind that, right? And I think In part, it is that whole idea of I want to make sure that my fruit and vegetable dollar is working for me so that I'm not buying items that I toss out. And we all know a lot of the fresh fruit and vegetables are tossed out per the consumer themselves. Um, So this idea of buying frozen, being able to grab exactly how much you need, that is hurting us a little bit as well. So I think We have some opportunity in here, regardless of where you sit in the which channel of retail. And that is really educating about the freshness of the items that you bring in store, the quality checks. I was just looking at some pictures out of Germany, and I I thought this was brilliant. You know, when you go to a public restroom, it will have this schedule that says when the restrooms are last cleaned, right? So this retailer kind of took that concept and they had a little um, chalkboard in the produce department. And it says, we want to make sure that we guarantee the highest quality and freshness for you. Our last quality check was at. And then they just take the chalk and put in the time like 430. Um In reality, we do quality tax checks and walkthroughs in the department anyway. Why not take credit for it, right? Um, So I think it is little things like that really talking about we make sure we have the freshest produce so that when you buy it, it's going to last or just teach people a little bit about, you know, if you're worried about tossing out produce, then maybe uh, an apple or pear or something like that will last longer than a soft fruit. So I think there are some levels of education for the fresh fruit and vegetable department to address some of these shifts that are not in our favor.
0: That makes sense. well, and and to your point too, the the communication piece, it's and when you describe kind of the the top drivers for folks choosing the store and you know when you force them to choose one, price, you know has has won out more now than it has in the past, perhaps. It's interesting too to think about what's the what's the value story being told right and and what are the different factors that need to be emphasized in that because um, like you mentioned, if folks think hey, it's just easier for me to stay in my budget and get the stuff that I need if I go here versus there um, that that ease is part of the value too, right so even you know for traditional grocers to think about how do we make it really really easy? Um, I mean, that should probably be the goal for, for anybody who serves any customer anywhere, right? But like, right. Um, even more so now, maybe.
1: No, I would agree.
0: You know, look, at the end of the day, I would argue that
1: value has always driven the produce purchase, but it was always quality, hand in hand with price. Mm-hmm. Now it's price, hand in hand with quality. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, has to be addressed in some kind of way. So I've, just, I've seen interesting promotions pop up where I think retailers are recognizing this. Um, there's been retailers that have price locks or price blocks where a certain number of items will not go up and can only go down. So that kind of communication is important, I think. Um, a couple of years ago in the UK, I thought this was quite brilliant. I had never seen it before. They had had massive inflation in ground beef. And apparently a few months had gone by and that price had come down. And they actually had a shelf tag that said the price per pound on ground beef is now 26% cheaper than it was three months ago. Because I think what we run the risk off, and you see this in center store a lot, is that people start to have a conscious decision of, can I still buy this item? Is it still in my power to buy this? And the last thing that we need is people dropping out of the category. I'm not talking the entire department. I don't think we'll see a lot of that, but buy fewer items and buy smaller items. And so this idea of also letting people know that, oh, by the way, um, you might not have been buying X, Y, or Z fruits and vegetables, but they have come down in price a lot. You know, it, it, it can create some goodwill and, and potentially a purchase that wasn't planned. So
0: I, I that, I think that is a, an excellent point. And we, we were talking earlier, Marie, about um, berries are a category for my family that we, my husband and I, we both really, really like berries. We'll actually go through berries, berries very quickly, you know, when we do buy them. And so like on a one pound clamshell of strawberries, you know, when, when we would see that retail get you know, $5.99, $6.99, $7.99. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, we'll eat these in one or two settings and and we've spent seven, eight dollars. Like I just, you know, I I should probably look at other fruits or, you know, other things for us to to get instead. Um, it was the, you know, the the hot deal price at the the club store where I was like, oh my gosh, I can get berries that we can actually eat for the better part of the week for a price that doesn't make me think, oh, this just feels a little irresponsible.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, think about your own thought process, right? You sort of dropped out of a category, but researcher you um, found another way around it and stuck with fresh. And I think there are some people who say, and it, it depends, I think, on what you're using them for, right? If you're the smoothie maker or you use the fruit to make a pie or whatever it is, that's when you might see that switch, To frozen. In your case, your dollar switched from grocery to club. And so there absolutely are, I think, you know, just in our own worlds, uh, anecdotes as to how these numbers are playing out. And, and I think promotion wise, too, um, you know, we have not been able to promote the way we have prior to the pandemic, especially on the fruit side, you know, the vast majority of of promotions always created a lot of impulse purchases. So we knew it was important to catch people's eye, but we just have not been able to promote to the extent nor to the depth that we were prior to the pandemic. Um, And yet we know that more than eight in 10 consumers look for sales promotions and uh, we're not really able to address it that much. And people people are seeing it. You know, they are recognizing that there aren't as many promotions, and that the prices aren't as hot as they used to be. So, um, I'd, I'd love to see just a lot of creativity in the marketplace. You know, if you can't promote for an entire week, how about you do three days? How about you do one day? How about you do mix and match? You know, I, I've seen some beautiful examples actually in your market, Ashley, from Ivy, where they mix and match promotions with veggies and meat and sides and everything else where all of a sudden by having to mix and match uh, promotions, you can get to a favorable price point for the entire meal. Um, that's something that Wegmans does as well, right? They have banners all over the store because I think here's what we need to keep in mind. When you go out to dinner, you're looking at the menu and you can see exactly what you're paying for that meal. And you decide, yeah, this one's a little high. Let me go higher up on that on that line. Um, but when you're buying groceries, you're paying 70 bucks, but it doesn't really translate into how much did I just pay for this dinner? And what Wegmans is doing, and a few others around the country is they're Showing the if you buy this spaghetti sauce, the spaghetti noodles, the fresh mushrooms, the salad, you know all the items to make that meal, it is three dollars and twenty five cents per person for a four person family. So, you know I think that really brings it home that at the end of the day, yes, grocery prices are significantly more expensive. However, it still is a whole lot cheaper than buying uh, food from restaurants.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and your your mention of kind of center store and, and producing, the, the whole grocery shop made me think of in, in that report that you guys did recently, they were talking about, you know, average food and beverage prices as a whole now versus 2019, I think it was up, is it 28.8%, almost 30%? I know, it's frightening, isn't it? You I know, know, it's... it's- <laughs>
1: Oftentimes, you know, just when something is happening, when you see it move from year over year, which is the typical look and year over year, we have been going from 10 to 11 to 12 to 13 to 14. And we're still sitting at that 14 point year over year. Um, And all of a sudden, the narrative started to change a little bit with well, month over month, we're really moderating. And it's like, yeah, but None of us really get pay raises month over month, right? It's right. all as well. Maybe you get a pay raise every year. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When we compare October 2022 prices across food and beverages versus October 2019, which would be your pre-pandemic normal, it's it's more than 28%. And I sincerely doubt that many of us are making 28% more, which would just be keeping up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's and and that's really what then think about the cost of energy of public transportation of really all these things in life and uh, consumers basically have no choice but to make changes and so we are yet again looking at all time credit all time high credit card debt, which means that people have been substituting their incomes with credit cards. We're looking at a record low national savings rate, which is the percentage that goes into the bank at the end of the day. Um, And we just see that there is this enormous reduction of spending power, and that has to work somewhere. And that means that across most category in the store, we've been seeing a lot of pressure on units and volume, especially volume. So what we're seeing is that people are still buying whatever the item is, but maybe a smaller package or um, maybe just, you know, buy the private brand or those kinds of things. So there's a lot of switching going on. And then, you know, that whole idea of unit size, how does that play out in fresh produce in 23, right? Because <laughs> we can't suddenly shrink down the iceberg lettuce or, or the cauliflower or what have you, right? Now, I think uh, we have been seeing the majority share of the market being prepackaged, about 60% of sales. Also, for years and years and years, as much as we talk about packaging sustainability, we've seen that packaged produce is what's driving all the growth. Um, So that does beg a question, you know, do we need to reduce that package size a little bit in order to keep, to your earlier berry example, to keep people in the category? Well, there's been experimentation with that by some retailers. And of course, the risk is do more people shift down to that smaller package than people who would have dropped out of the category? So this is a really difficult conundrum, right? Are you giving up money that you would have had if you had the same packet size versus that lost revenue from people who simply drop out of the category? And I think that's just one of the most difficult yet most important questions for 2023.
0: And there's probably different answers across different products and categories within the department, I'd imagine, right?
1: I think so. And also, you know, who's your shopper? If you think about a Trader Joe's that has a very deep penetration of one and two person households, high trip frequency, you know, it's a lot easier to go to a smaller package. In fact, most packages already are smaller. Um, but yeah, certainly we see people playing around with those big clamshells of lettuce and those kinds of things. Like, do they need to be as big as they are? Um, and I think, again, the consumer is going to speak with their wallet here. And, you know, I, I, myself, if I buy them half the time, that little bottom layer goes to waste because I just can't quite use it all up fast enough. So I think at a certain point in time, especially with the perishable nature of our product, um you know maybe smaller package sizes can be an answer but it just is a whole shift in mindset right we've kind of always thought in pounds in our industry and moving the volume and and just really moving volume to make the money um uh, which is a little bit different in center store where they've been focused on that shrinkflation concept for a long time
0: oh yes i i specifically remember my dad always loved graham crackers and the other day He's holding up the, you know, the little, you know, wrapped package that comes within the box of the graham crackers. He says, look at this. This used to fit squarely in the box. And now there's this big gap. They're shrinking down how much graham cracker I'm getting in my box now.
1: That's exactly right. Or you open a <laughs> box
0: of cereal and you're like, uh, where's my
1: cereal? <laughs> yeah. And it's like the bottom little half of the box until they have time to, to shrink it all together. But uh, so, yes, this is a tactic that has been used in center store for a long time in order to keep that unit price within a range that is comfortable for consumers to be able to purchase. And um, now, of course, in produce, we do have the advantage of bulk um, and and that's where we could potentially see a little bit more movement where people say, you know, what if I just want to, or, or am able to buy two apples, then that's what I'll do. But certainly in other areas like packaged salads or what have you, it's its just all packaged and it's something to keep in mind. Um, but at the same time, I really do want to underscore that despite all the pressure on income, we continue to see convenience just do really well. Anything that saves time or brings a different flavor, uh, whether that is cut fruit, veg, packaged salads, uh, its it's still strong demand for all of that.
0: Well, and I wonder as well because again thinking about how much just how much food prices overall are up, I wonder if that is something where for example if if I've got my favorite bag of chips that is now $6 when it used to be, you know, 3.50 a couple years ago or whatever. When I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, "Oh gosh, you know, it's it's not good for me. I I still want it." but do I really, do I really want to spend money on something that's not doing anything for me for this much more money, you know, multiplied by however many trips across the span of the year? I wonder if that is something that can be leveraged maybe for fresh produce and and fresh food in general.
1: I I completely agree. You know, sometimes even though obviously the consumer mindset is on inflation, is on on cost and prices, absolutely, they're looking for sales. But it doesn't mean that all their other needs have changed. You know, there's still a lot of people who believe in taking care of the environment, taking care of society. There are still a lot of people that believe in their health and well-being not just physical health but also just doing something nice for themselves that emotional piece of it um there is still at the end of the day you just have 24 hours in a day and life's hecticness is back and you have to just figure out how to make all that work so i think it's really important to understand where does price fit in this and where do you give a little on that but still really talk about all these other things because people sometimes will make room in their budget with the right messaging, especially during the holidays, right? That's really, you know what, it's been a stressful year. I'm going to do something for my myself, my family. I'm not, I'm going to save a couple hours in the kitchen by getting the fruit tray ready made, those kinds of things. Um, So it's really a matter of that right balance, I think, and not. If I had to sum up 23, I would say balancing act. That's going to have to be our, you know, our big message for for next year.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I I love those examples because it is. It's one of those things where, you know, price is is top of mind, but that doesn't mean that all those other factors disappear, right? Because at some point I may still buy that bag of chips because maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's been a bad day. You know, maybe the kids like them all those other things. Right. And, um, and, and so some, some of those things can, can work in in favor of produce. Some of those things may work against produce, right. Depending on kind of these little, uh, these little micro scenarios, right. That every single shopper kind of goes through in their thought process as they fill that basket. But I thought that the kind of the, the health, you know, the, the health value versus dollar piece, is kind of interesting. And maybe this is even something that gets leveraged more in like the meat department, even versus the produce department, when you're talking about like calories and literally fueling everybody. Right. Yes.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Cause I think people probably associate more of that with protein than we, than they do, even with all the vitamins and minerals and really good stuff that's in in produce. Um, yeah, I, but I know that's something I've been thinking about. Cause I'm like, oh man, like, should I really spend money on these things that don't actually do anything for my body, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing to keep in mind is that there are no people, or uh, I guess I should say hardly any people that are completely linear in their thinking. And the meat department is actually a funny example. In the same exact basket or the same exact household, you'll see people who buy a roast that needs to be smoked or or whatever cooked for eight hours and then you see items that are pre-made kebabs that are already ready or a rotisserie chicken that is already ready to eat and so it we have to keep in mind that every day has different need states in fact different hours of the day have different need states and That just means that by simply saying, well, you know what, everybody's pressured on income, Uh, that probably means they're going to cook from scratch. Yeah, maybe they're going to cook from scratch a little more or have that desire. But at the end of the day, there's still life. And so we still have to figure out how to fit our money in our time, in our routines, while feeling good about what we eat. And to your point, and I mentioned this earlier, Sometimes we take health and nutrition too literally. There is absolutely a component of physical health. And we saw immunity come on really, really strong during the pandemic. But there is also emotional well-being and just doing something nice for yourself. And if your weapon of choice is some chips or some chocolate or whatever, that is perfectly fine. It's okay to treat yourself. And that's where I think your $7 box of strawberries comes in as well. If you just love strawberries, and yes, it's a little bit outside of your budget or twice as much as you normally pay, it can still bring you that little bit of happiness that made a stressful day a fantastic ending. So I think that's really where we need to move, you know, the enjoyment of food.
0: I think that's that resonates so much with me because even, even as I give the, the berry example, my favorite snacking cherry tomatoes on the vine. I and I've I found them at the club store sometimes, but even if at even if they're at the regional grocer, I'm like, man, I like those so much. And I get vegetables in my day and I know I will eat them all because they are my favorite. You know what? Fine. Even because even though it's $6 for this relatively small package that I could probably go through pretty quickly. I'm, I'm buying those little cherry tomatoes on the vine, you know, so you're right. It, it, there are so many things that, that factor in and, and price gets overruled sometimes. It does. It does.
1: It does. It really is a balancing act. And sometimes price wins out uh, toward the end of the month and (laughs) (laughs) And then other times you know, we will make room in our budget. And it's like, you know what, I had planned to buy a Starbucks today, but I'm not going to because the cherry tomatoes or or the strawberries or whatever look fantastic. And, or, you know, instead of making my own salad, which would have been a little cheaper, I'm just going to buy a salad kit because I don't have a whole lot of time. So, Um, I think we just have to keep in mind that at the end of the day, there is still a lot of growth opportunity in the market and we really have an opportunity to be a helping hand in many areas, you know, making the budget meet, nutrition, um, date night at home, you know, all these different things that are happening in people's lives. And that's really where I think produce plays such a unique role and uh, really going after those usage occasions, I think still will bring us um, some interesting trips to the store.
0: Absolutely, and Amory, you talked a little bit already about promotions, but I'm curious, just because you know these these are a vehicle to to communicate value and and how you do that in different ways and get a little creative with that, um, branch out maybe you know from from what folks have done in the past. What, what are some, some interesting kind of creative promotions that you've been seeing? Yeah, so
1: I recently had an opportunity to talk to a bunch of regional um, uh, grocers and uh, they had figured out uh, that the biggest day to buy pizza is Friday. Um, that's true for pizza restaurants, also deli pizza, frozen pizza, etc. And they drove this promotion where they were selling a kind of a higher end frozen pizza for four dollars. And they were able to just drive huge incremental sales. Uh, Where I think then lies the opportunity is, how about you have some little coupon or some reference to the packet salad to go with it? Um, And so this whole idea of co- and cross-purchasing is so important because people are focused on the basics. They are focused on my meat, veggie, potato, instead of maybe the two veggies or some fruit for dessert. So we have to get more creative. I mentioned earlier, whether that's a one day promotion or three day promotion, but also the idea of how do people shop? So recently I was doing a lot of work for the mushroom council and we looked at um, when people buy mushrooms, what else is in that basket? And it was fascinating because you could just see all these meals emerging, right? You, you see like uh, shredded cheese and eggs. So you know, they're making omelets. Well, what if we were to put mushrooms with the eggs? Or you saw a whole other usage occasion where you see the tomatoes, the onions, the lettuce, well, they're making a salad. Or you saw a whole other one where it was the long pasta noodles, tomato sauce, um, those kinds of things, they're making spaghetti. Every item in the produce department has a story like that. Uh, One of the things that came out of the mushroom research was that when people buy mushrooms, they tend to also weigh over index for fresh herbs. So putting those right next to each other, and you often see that, so retailers must know this, (laughs) um, can prompt people who went to buy that fresh basil to also grab mushrooms and vice versa. I think that's the kind of creativity that we need to go after. If we can support that with promotions, great. But at the very least, getting into the minds of, of shoppers and almost making those suggestions as they're walking the store, I think is, is going to be important to continue to drive that, optimize that, that basket in terms of items and units.
0: Well, and I I love kind of the, the connection between the, the marketing and the merchandising. And we think about all the different channels that the retailers have to communicate to the shoppers trying to align the the messaging and the promotions and everything all together so it's a nice cohesive picture obviously is easier said than done. Um what are some things that you've seen as far as best practices on how to sort of line that up and and really communicate with shoppers in in a in a large larger number of ways maybe.
1: Yeah, you know you're absolutely right. Um we're all overwhelmed and the buyers and merchandisers, et cetera, at retail probably toward the top of that list. And so just keeping product on the shelf, making sure that it meets the freshness, dates, the specs, everything else. It's been tough. Um, And yet they're looking for new items to bring into the store. But you're right. Often what happens is like, hey, marketing folks, I got a new item coming into the store next week. Well, that doesn't give the marketing person a whole lot of time to develop that. Um, So, yes, you definitely see the best in class retailers spend a whole lot more time and process to make sure that there are announcements relative to new items. So the marketing can truly support that. And especially important for online baskets as well, because what we are seeing is when people buy online Um, they often start with past purchases. And so that by definition then means that they're not even looking what is new or or seasonal, right? Think about how short cherry season is, for instance. Well, if you're not in the store and you don't see those displays, how would you even know? So I think some of the best in class examples relative to new and, and that combination of marketing and marketing is just constant huddle meetings to understand What are the new items? How do I support it? Calling it out on the shelf, calling it out in circulars or or on social media, I think, is a really big partner in this. Um, But also beyond product, I've seen a lot of changes relative to packaging, right? Uh, Think about moving from plastic clamshells to an environmentally friendly packaging. We should be bragging on that a little bit and what i noticed when i was in the netherlands they had moved the ground beef to this little bag that almost looked like a salad bag if you will and no longer in the plastic tray with the over, over wrap and so the biggest sticker on that package was this packaging is 75% less plastic then when i went through the circular It had the same exact call out. And it also says from now on, we are packaging ground beef in packaging that is 75% less plastic. Like, you know what, this is how you do something right, but also get that credit for it. Um, And you need to run that for several months before it really hits home with people. And I think that's sometimes in our effort to have the department look beautiful and not clutter it up and, you know, maybe a a very quick introduction or just do an introduction that you feel is doing the right thing. We don't maybe get the amount of credit that we could be getting if we were really combining that marketing and merchandising and everything together.
0: Well, and I know we've we've talked before about the e-commerce opportunity and and you see a few folks out there where they've got sort of the ideal synergistic omni-channel experience, where everything in the store is beautifully reflected on the website. But that's that's hard. That takes a lot. I think I think the folks who do that really well really really invest in that in that area and make it a point. And I, I think you've got to if you're going to get past. Um, a, a favorite example uh, that that we meant we're talking about earlier was you click the description box for a Honeycrisp apple, and you get the UPC number.
1: Right, exactly.
0: Yeah, and then you
1: shop the store, right? (laughs) And you have the charts that show which one's sweet, tart, baking, snacking. Um, You know, people are like, you know what? It's cold outside. I'm going to make an apple pie. What apple do you use for that? You go online, and to your point, your description is your UPC number. Well, you know, that's probably a basket that's going to be abandoned.
0: Well, and the thing is, too is obviously it's it's a it's a big initial investment of course to get all that information on the site and get the photos on there and all those kind of things but i imagine you know if if you're in a store during a, a busy time of day right you're not probably lingering too much right you're trying to get out of the way of the person next to you you're trying to get through the store you know pick up the kids on the way back home or well whatever it is Versus if you're filling out your online grocery basket, you might be sitting on the couch. You might have more time to actually engage in some of yeah. this additional content than you might in the store. So, and, and, and I'm an advocate of, of lots of information at, at the store level too, you know, in, in a way that's uh, engaging and, and quick and, and works for that environment. But I think it's a different, you know, and potentially pretty powerful opportunity to have more of that in some of these places where folks are in a little bit more relaxed state. They're in more of a planning state versus an impulse state at the, at the grocery store. So- yeah.
1: Well, it's uh, it's really a great way to educate. Look, not everybody's going to click on nutrition each and every time you buy apples, but if you're curious, or if you're on a certain diet or whatever, you might want to see how much sugar is in this apple or, you know, how many calories or whatever it is. So I think, Just having the opportunity to have all this information literally at your fingertips is an important opportunity. So what we're seeing is that about 3-4% of the population, they are mostly online shoppers. You know, there's always that gallon of milk, but by and large, they buy their groceries online. Then you have about 65% of shoppers who only buy in-store. Again, there might be that one-time Amazon purchase of pretzels that you couldn't find in-store, Um, But by and large, they they shop in the store. Um, And then so that leaves a significant chunk of people that do a little bit of both. Yeah. And the opportunity lies in making sure that that little bit of both is optimized, whether they are in the store or online. And when they're online, they have that routine basket where they go through and click, click, click. Yep, I need all of those. How do you get new in there? How do you get seasonal in there? How do you get those non-routine items in there? And those are really important questions as that little bit of both group is, is quite large at this point in time.
0: All right, well, we've we've talked about inflation. We've talked about channel shifting. We've talked about promotional activity. What other things, what would you close us on, Anne-Marie, for what else to kind of keep an eye on as, as we get ready to come into 2023?
1: Well, you know, maybe a little bit on the heels of online uh, merchandising, you know, the big discussion is, of course, labor in the store. You know, I've mentioned several times what if we were to bring produce items out of the produce department in other areas. We know those meal bunkers at the beginning of the store are cash machines. We know they work, but we also know the operational challenges. And as our labor crisis continued, it is not easy to do. Um, so I am excited that there's, especially in, in the meal kit sort of area, that there's a lot of innovation relative to uh, a kit for for street tacos with corn and everything else already in it. So there's more and more solutions out there that are meal kit-esque a little bit that could be put in, in those kinds of items. Um, but really trying to figure out that cross-merchandising piece, I think, is important, regardless of the operational challenges And then I I don't think we can ever underestimate the importance of in-store merchandising and the visual beauty of produce. So, um, you know, to all of the the produce merchandisers and buyers out there, it's, it's just always a pleasure to walk around in the department. I know you take lots of pictures. I do the same. It's just... Uh, You know, I I think just talking to the folks working in these departments about the importance of a good looking display relative to impulse is huge because we're going to need that impulse to do well in 23. So really execution isn't just because the boss said that they want it to look good. Execution is important in order to drive sales. And, you know, the idea of keeping display stocked. If you have an out of stock, can you scoot something else over? Can you run shorter promotions? So the whole execution piece in store, I think continues to be one of the most important things for produce in the, uh, in the upcoming year.
0: Well, and, and that's such a, that's such a great note to end on too, Anne-Marie, because I think as we've talked about with, with grocers maybe not promoting as frequently or as deeply or, or, or some of those things as they've done in the past, that, man, that opportunity to influence and, and create that impulse purchase is is more important than ever, really, because you don't, you're not going right. to rely on just the, the bargain, bargain basement, you know, discount that somebody maybe came in for, um, right. you gotta, you gotta catch them there where they, they say, oh my gosh, that looks so good. You know, I'm okay that it's not 299. I'll pay 399. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah
1: the smell, the visual, um, recipes is another big one. Um, and to just really, uh, you know, engaging all the senses, I think continues to be really important.
0: Excellent. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been such a pleasure to visit with you and, uh, we'll, we'll thank our listeners as well. And we'll see everybody next week on the Peruse Retail Podcast.